Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Yes, finally, it's happening. We are back. We are on. We're on fire. People are wondering, where was that last episode, Casey? Well, I was on vacation, my friends. Um, Pseudo vacation. But I'm excited for this conversation. I, I can't tell you how excited I am. I haven't been this excited since the Patriots won one of our Super Bowls, uh, one of our many Super Bowls. Oh, you're losing the audience now. You're losing the audience. Okay. So this guest today, he's back. He's back for another great conversation. I had so much fun with him last time. We've chatted ever since. He's got a great podcast. Uh, we're going to talk all about that and connecting and all sorts of fun things. We're also going to be sampling some IPAs and some beers on this show. So it's going to be a little bit more fun than your average duck. Um, and with that, let me introduce today's guest. He is a marketing mastermind, a content wizard, a serial entrepreneur, a legendary negotiator, and my friend, founder at Content Callout and Negotiations Ninja, Mark Raffin. Welcome back. What an introduction, man. Holy smokes. Booyah. How do I even follow that? I feel like you set the you set the bar so high. I got to like step up my performance level here in a big way. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a great pleasure to be back on again. Well, we got so much feedback. You know, actually got feedback on on your last show, and so many people um, were just kind of tweeting at me and, and sending me you know, short little messages. That uh, not that I needed that. Even if people had said that was a terrible guest, I still would have had you back because I just love chatting with you. Feel like we're we're fellow wizards of the of the marketing world here, and it just it, I learned so much from you at the same time. Um, but but today's show is a little special, right? I think we started out. We said, you know what? Last time we said we're gonna do we're gonna like open up a bottle of wine. We're going to have the same bottle and we're going to both sort of test out a new one. Well, that didn't happen. And uh, so this time we're like, well, you know, it might be easier to just get some, uh, some beer. So uh, we're going to be popping that open for those of you listening at 10 AM. You want to join us? Hey, it's, it's five o'clock somewhere. Right. So uh, you first, man, what do you have? What'd you bring to the, the show here? The beer. Let's talk yeah. about the beer first. Okay. Yeah, so we'll I've smash got a, that myth in a second. But what's the? I beer? got a. I got. I'll hold this up to the camera. Hopefully, folks can see this. It's a blind man brewing New England style pale ale. I'll read the back because I thought this was super interesting. So, New England style beers are American pale ales and IPAs that are most often described as hazy and juicy. The haze is because of a higher protein malt that's used, um, and it's it. This leaves sort of particulates in the beer that note the hazy appearance anyway fantastic mm. i've had it before i highly recommend it blind man brewing new england style pale ale particulates mm. you know this little sidetrack we're going to be learning about beer here apparently um that's cool man have you had this one before i have i have this nice. is actually from a a local brewery close to where i live in lacombe alberta uh called blind man brewing shout out blind man brewing Shout out to Blind Man Brewing. So are you saying that they actually out way out there are brewing stuff from my hometown here in New England? Yes. And doing it better. Ooh, I don't know about that, sir. It's a bold statement. I recognize that's a bold, that's a bold statement. statement. But buy it and make your decision. Right, right. You know, we'll have to link to that in the show notes, as we always do. Um, this show what is sponsored you? by. Okay, so I've got uh 
you know, I just, I saw this on a menu one time and I thought, how do you not order that? And then later on, I sought it out, found it. The brand is called Clown Shoes. If you've heard of that, but yeah, the, the, the beer brand is Clown Shoes. And the name of the beer is Rainbows Are Real. Okay. Clown Shoes, Rainbows Are Real. Like what name is that? <laughs> I love it, actually. Yeah. What, you what kind see, of beer is it? Gotta see the cover here. It's like these two astronauts or something on a foreign planet. It's like a really oh, pretty uh, picture. Um, it is a hazy India pale ale. So a hazy IPA as well. Yeah, very similar to this one. Yeah. And you know, I got to read. I, I like the idea that you read that description. Um, <laughs> from mythic hammer wielding beasts. Wow. Very apropos to this show. Uh, to intergalactic agriculturists, here at Clown Shoes, we think about some crazy stuff, but we even can barely comprehend the natural wonder of big, beautiful rainbow, of a big, beautiful rainbow. We will forever remain in awe of those massive swaths of vibrant color that stretch forever in the horizon. This hazy IPA contains the terpenes, beta pinene. This is, I'm like, what am I drinking? <laughs> beta pinene and linalool aromatic compounds derived from natural botanical sources they supplement the sweet malt backbone and lively blend of azaka citra and mosaic hops that make rainbows are real shine with fresh juicy notes of sweet citrus wow sounds interesting all right gentlemen start your engines yeah i'm gonna this crack this up to and i want to make sure we get some sound on this so i'm gonna oh. try and crack it close to my mic because i love that sound you got that one i'll try mine Ooh, ooh. Oh yeah. Love Triggered that. a bunch of people with that one. Listen, Excellent. I think everyone hearing that sound was just like, I think I need a beer. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Or for those of you that want to grab a Sprite Zero, that's cool too. But either way, you should join well, cheers, us. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for having cheers. me on. Cheers. Yeah, man. Cheers. Absolutely. So with that, I'm going to grab the hammer. And it's only fitting to, in the fashion we always do, pass you the hammer. <laughs> I take it. I take it with take great responsibility. That mythical hammer. Smash for me some kind of misconception, bogus strategy, myth, marketing myth. Yeah. And just look, set the record straight once and for all. I think there's a lot of companies out there that are mat in mature industries and mature organizations that feel it's too late to start content marketing. And I want to smash that myth for you right now. Like if you're in a mature industry, in a mature company, you've paid no attention to content marketing for the last X amount of years, however long you've been around, you probably believe it's too late. It's not too late. Here's why. No one else in your industry is doing it. Do it. <laughs> You're going to separate yourself from the competition. You're going to be successful in the process. Invest in content marketing. You don't have to get super fancy with it. You don't have to do it all at once. You can start slow, but invest in content marketing. It's not too late. So don't get super fancy. You can start slow. I like that. Uh, but invest. Mm -hmm. So you, you're trying to tell me there's people out there that still haven't, you know, done content marketing at this point? I mean, I might live in a bubble. That might be. Yeah. I look, when you think of like manufacturing industries, large industrial companies, those kinds of organizations, um, industries that have been around for a really long time, 
they've typically ignored content marketing or at least modern day content marketing as we mm. know it. And uh, it's a mistake. It's a big mistake. It's not too late. You're not too late. What? Why does this happen? Why? Why? I mean, their neighbors not doing it, so they're not doing it. But is that is that it? Just, I mean, I know manufacturing can be slow to adopt. A lot of groups can, but yeah, why? I would say typically those those organizations and those industries have invested in marketing, um, maybe not as much as like many modern companies have, tech companies, SaaS companies, um, healthcare companies. They, they sort of understand the reason market exists, marketing exists, develop brand, growth, all the rest of it. And those other industries have been around for such a long time that they've sort of gotten out of the growth mindset and they've gotten out of the growth attitude. At least this is my perception of why. And because they've really only invested in small marketing campaigns here and there, right? Trade shows, events, things like that, which is fantastic and amazing. Don't get me wrong. Keep doing that. But they've kind of forgotten that marketing can be also other things that could generate a lot of brand recognition, that can generate a lot of awareness, that can grow leads, that can grow conversations, that can have networking interactions outside of a traditional trade show or event, like the conversation we're having right now, for example, yeah. right? And when you show them the power of that and you show them the reach they could have, they blow their minds, right? It just goes boom. And it's like a, a light bulb moment goes off. And you, so they're saying, what? wait, you mean we can reach thousands of people in our industry, not at a trade show? Yes, yes, absolutely you can. Through content marketing, through educating your customer, through educating your prospects, through having conversations. And, and a lot of folks don't understand that. And, and it's sad because they've spent so much time missing out, especially during the course of COVID-19, right, where the events dried up and there was nowhere to go. And they're like, well, I guess we'll just wait until it gets better. Problem is, is they waited and now it's been two and a half, almost three years. How much have you lost out on in that process? It's not too late. Start now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get the sense that sometimes they found something that worked and it's like one trick pony. Hey, these events yeah. we go to terribly inefficient. Maybe we're not really tracking it, but we seem to stay in business. But even the idea of a, the cliche one trick pony, we don't use ponies anymore, right? It's one trick car. Maybe not even that at this point, one trick Tesla, right? So if you just, it, that's the danger of having that one source. Yeah, man. And then you, that source gets outdated, man. Just like SEO, just like all these things, things are moving. You got to, as painful as change is, you got to stay with it. And it's one of the best ways to do that is just to test some new things out. Uh, yeah. And so how, how should they get started? That's a really great question. So when a lot of people hear that, hey, content marketing is amazing and we should consider content marketing, they may think to themselves, well, that sounds like a, like a big ask, right? Like, because it, it sounds so out of reach and so new and so all-encompassing, especially when you think of all of the things that are composed within content marketing, right? Whether it's blogs, white papers, case studies, podcasts, um, social media content, could be a variety of different type video, whatever. When you think of all of the content 
that gets produced. It seems so overwhelming. And a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, I, we can't do that, right? Like that's, it's too much. We don't have the staff. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the budget to be able to support that kind of an endeavor. And my response to that is, so don't do all of it. Find something, part of that, that you think will resonate with your customer. Figure out where your customer is. Look, if you're a B2B organization, they're probably on LinkedIn. Right. So figure out where your customer is and then start developing content for that platform and for that audience. You don't have to start with more than that. Start there. See how that goes and then build on that so that you can keep building out additional channels and additional pieces of content so that you can interact with people in a variety of different ways that they want to get content. Or maybe it's as something as simple as reaching out to your existing customer base, asking them to sign up for a newsletter that you want to start putting together. And I know that sounds ancient to a lot of the people that are involved in this conversation, but as a first step, it's fantastic, right? Get them to sign up for that and then share educational, interesting, insightful, entertaining pieces of content with that audience and create engagement. Start to create a conversation. And that's where the money is. As we all know, when marketing transitions to sales, the conversations are the things that make that transition occur. And once you can start having those conversations, that becomes much easier. That's it, man. That's it. Um, God, or just, you know, if you haven't done this yet, apply for a new job because that company is in trouble. If you're not, yeah. if you're not doing this, I mean, Mark's being kind and trying to lead you to water, but I'm just going to let you know the desert will eat you if you don't go there. It's just how it is. We just got to do it this way. But tell, tell me what, man. So for the people that haven't adopted, that's the case. And But I think a lot of people listening to this show have adopted. And so this is a good message. Like You just sort of encapsulated everything that anyone who's listening to this, if they encounter someone not doing that, it's like they need to hear this. What do you say to the people who have started and maybe they're like, I started, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I heard, maybe they heard this first part of the episode and they got started, but then they're wondering if they're doing it right. What's next. There's, there's a thousand kinds of content they can create. Should they start is particular medium, particular shape, size, that's a really good question. I think it really depends on who your customer is. So first think about who the customer is. Who is the target customer that you're trying to reach out to? And even before that, think about who that ideal customer profile is, right? So, um, and if you have trouble picturing this, think of your existing customer base and think of who is your favorite, right? Who is your favorite customer and why are they your favorite customer? Is it because they, you make lots of money off of them and you have a great relationship with each other and you talk to each other a lot? What is it that defines that type of customer? What industry are they in? What geography are they in? What kind of person do you deal with there? Then think about them. Then just make content for that person. Don't try to make content for everyone. So often when we get into content marketing, we try to make content that appeals to anyone and everyone that we interact with. This is a mistake 
because when you do that, it becomes so diluted from the main core message of the kind of customer that you want to attract that it becomes less engaging for that particular customer and you begin to lose them as a reader or a viewer or a listener and then they don't listen to your stuff or watch your stuff or read your stuff we want them to do that so focus your content on just one just one for now one target ideal customer and think about them when you're writing, think about them when you're speaking, think about them when you're producing, whatever it is that you're doing on an ongoing basis, whatever the content is, think about the kind of content they'd like to consume, keywords that they would like to consume. Not that you like to produce, that they like to consume. So maybe it's audio and maybe you can produce really good podcasts or really great audiograms and snippets that you can share on social. Or maybe it's video and you want to produce something on YouTube or share on TikTok or share on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Or maybe it's written. Maybe you've got people who like to read that content. Whatever it is that your target customer likes to consume, build that and then focus on building more. I like that. I like that because it helps me not boil the ocean. And I was picturing that as you were describing it, because I think sometimes we talk about our ideal customer and we take for granted that we should just know who it is. But so many marketers I talk to, we're like, how do I come up with that? The ICP, how, how do I, and we get all over analytical about it and, and it's a rabbit hole, but just the idea of who's your favorite, yeah. you know, especially if you're connected and if you're not connected enough to the business to know who the favorite is, find out, you know, talk to the different people. Who's that? favorite customer. And I love that you broke down why. Why is that company make it your favorite? And also the, the point of contact at that company. Like what is it about the makeup of them that just makes them so fun to work with? And it's making content for the people who want your content. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not making content for the people who aren't listening. The people who, you know, hate you or don't listen. And no, no, the people that love everything you say, they eat it up and they implement it right away. Make the content for them. Yeah. And that inspires you. It kind of reminded me of, I heard some presenters talking about when they're on stage doing either stand-up or presentations or lectures, they're, they're speaking to like one person in the audience. You know, they're not speaking to everyone. They're speaking, they pick out a face, talking to you, I'm telling a joke to you or teaching this point. And they're kind of like, does this person get it? And using that feedback to get, to get it uh, honed in. But I love that, man. Just so focused on pick a person. But I think picking a person can be scary. Mm -hmm. So do you have any words of advice for, you know, if you pick a person here, you're not looking at the other people. Are they going to feel isolated, alienated, are you not going to write good content for them? That's a really good question. And the answer to that question is, does it really matter? So if you want to be able to attract more of those kinds of people that are your favorite, if that doesn't resonate with a customer that isn't your favorite, does it really matter? They're not going to listen to the content anyway, and maybe they still stay your customer, which is great because you provide an amazing service or an amazing product or whatever it is. Yeah. But it doesn't, I don't know that it really matters. Now, look, if you say to me, Mark, look, 
70% of my customers are the type of customers that you're talking about, right? Like they're my ideal customer. I want to attract more of them. I say, fantastic. And then you say, well, 20% of this other kind of customer, which we really, really like, and we also want more of them. If we produce this type of content, we're going to ignore that 20% and then the remaining 10%, whatever. And I'm going to <laughs> right. say, just focus on the 70% for now. Then once you've got a good rhythm down with the 70%, add in additional mm. stuff. It goes back to your point about boiling the ocean, right? If you try and do too many things for too many people, your stuff becomes diluted. It becomes a mess. It becomes not, not very engaging. And so we want to just focus on one for now and then build on from there and see what's resonating. And by the way, just because you do one thing doesn't mean it's always going to be successful, right? We want to try and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, adjust. That's what marketing a lot of the time is, especially in and around the content game. Your message may not land the first time. Your question might be why. Maybe it's because mm. it's the first time. Maybe you haven't honed that message properly. Maybe you're new to this. Keep trying until you start to hit something that makes sense. Then when that thing makes sense, it becomes more repeatable. You can produce more content like it and then start to produce different varieties of content that may resonate for that particular target. I would, yeah. I would much sooner add on more variety of content for a target consumer, for a target customer profile, than add on more content for another customer profile. If that makes sense. Uh, totally makes sense. I'm so much I got to repeat it. So it's a single target with a variety of content, as opposed to a variety of targets with a single yes. form of content. That's that's kind of a cool takeaway right there. Like if there was a quote, it's something like that. That you, that's huge. I think we do the opposite normally. Yeah, because we're trying to be everything to everyone. And we're also trying to be inclusive. And we, we are trying to share our expertise with everyone and trying to make it make sense. And then we're also trying to standardize a lot of the stuff that we do. And in that process, in standardization, we lose a lot of the innovation that may come with it. But when we have one focus, reaching out to one thing, we become a lot more innovative in how we approach those people or that person or that ICP, right? It, it becomes easier to be able to speak, especially when you're, think of yourself having a conversation with that person. It becomes easier to actually just have a conversation. I mean, that's a great point, right? Even the idea of just having a conversation, because I was going to ask you the next question, which is how do you figure out you know, the, the style of content they want and how do you figure out what kind of content they'd like to hear? And it sounds yeah. like conversation is the way to go. Is that a conversation in the survey podcast? What's your favorite? What, what yeah, mix pick up the like? phone. I mean, that's, that's I, like, I know that sounds archaic in today's day and age, but right? honestly, I think it's so important to just have a chat, call the customer and say, Hey, we're thinking of producing some content for people like you. What would you like to hear? How would you like to hear it? Would you like to read it instead? Would you rather see it on a video? Have the actual conversation. Write down notes, record the conversation, and then listen to what the customer said. I know it sounds crazy. What? Listen to the customer? 
listen to what the customer said, and then do that. Is there any, any concern that maybe they don't know? Like they'll tell you, oh, I listen to a podcast, but then they're not going to listen. Or I'd, I'd read that white paper, but they're not going to read. Or just take them at their word initially because it's better than yeah. guessing. Yeah. I mean, look, take them at their word because yeah. it's better than guessing. Then try it and send it to those people that said they would listen to it, right? Because you can't just produce it, right? You actually have to distribute it as well. So distribute it to them. Say, hey, we took your feedback into consideration and look what we did. We built this for you so that you could get something out of it. We'd love it if you would share it with other people like you. And then that'll start the process of building from there. And look, if it doesn't land, it doesn't land. Reach back out to them a month, two months later and say, what do you think? Where could we improve? What did you like? What did you not like? Where do we need to add? Where do we need to change? What do we need to remove? And then adjust. I've never had a call like that. I've never done a call and I've never received a call like that. Uh, but man, it sounds like, I, I mean, I'd be kind of honored. I'm not going to say no to a call. Like, Hey, we're creating content for people like you. Thank you. What would you like to hear? And I'll, oh, man, I would just tell them, Hey, here's a concern I have. Here's a mystery I have. I don't know what to do about this. And then I got an email afterwards saying, we heard you were confused about, cruel accounting or something and we wrote this giant thing for you <laughs> i would totally check that out totally and give them feedback i don't i'm i would be honored to give them feedback around that more so than fill the survey i don't know something about the survey thing just feels impersonal you know it's very impersonal it's very impersonal and you also don't get the level and the depth of information that you're looking for Right, because people, the goal of when someone gets a survey, that if they feel good about you, they'll fill the survey, but they'll only do as much as is required to finish the survey, which yeah. means they won't really get into depth of why they feel a certain way or how they've experienced stuff before. So you just don't get the information that you're looking for. Pick up the phone. Do you? try to schedule that in advance with people i mean give me some practical tacticals here do you yeah. literally just storm on people or you cold call them your customer well, we, base so we, you... for all of our customers we have a monthly phone call every single month with every single customer that we have um at my level at the founder level and then our project managers are talking to our customers on a daily basis basically right so but at my level it's like a hey how are things going where are we, where are we losing, right? Where are we not meeting your expectations? Where do we need to improve? What are we doing really, really well? What do you like about this? Why do you like that? What kind of content do you need us to produce more for you? What does your customer think? Like all of that kind of stuff is part of the conversation on a monthly basis to make sure that we're adhering to what they need. And you do those calls? I do. Wow. I have, guy. To. I have to. Otherwise, otherwise yeah. it becomes unmatched. But we schedule it in our onboarding sessions, right? So when we first onboard a customer, we'll schedule those monthly phone calls. So that, And they're not long, right? They're 15 minutes, no longer than 15 minutes. doesn't have to be longer than that. 
But then I block off part of a day every single month to be able to do that so that all I'm doing that day is those phone calls. Wow. That way it I, becomes I that much keeps... easier to manage. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's going to be scheduling a nightmare. Um, just don't be sick on that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this probably keeps you so connected, you know, even if you're not the one on your team, your team's growing and man, you'd be so connected to the needs and the wants and the pros and the cons and the feelings of your customer that way. Yeah. And we try to be as best we can look at, we get it wrong as well. I'm not here to say that we get it right every single time <laughs> we bomb, right? We bomb for sure. Um, but the wins outweigh the bombs and what we, and we learn from the bombs as well, because the right. next time we have the phone call, they say, well, that sucked, right? Like mm. that was brutal. This month sucked. And you're like, oh, right. Okay. Let me write that down. For example, we, we onboarded um, a really great e-commerce SaaS company recently um, in the last four or five months, and we're doing a lot of their content. And when we first started with them, we thought we understood what they were looking for because of our, our onboarding process is fairly extensive. Um, and we thought we understood. And the first few pieces of content that we produced, that first phone call that I had with that founder was Mark, you suck, right? Oh. This is brutal, right? Like if shit doesn't turn around real quick, we're done. I'm like, oh, okay. What do you need to change? And that person was very explicit about saying this, 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 and this. And we changed it. And then we turn it around and there's still a customer to today. So the value of that regular check-in is so high that it almost becomes something that we need to do. Wow. Um, and if you hadn't had, well, there's nothing like getting on a phone call, right? Because an email conversation when things are going well or when they're going well, it just, you need that context in that live con. And I've also found that it's the follow-up question that really yeah. is something that a survey can't really do. Yeah, they tell you it's X, and you were surprised, and you said, "Tell me more about that, or what? Why the heck is it this?" Right. Uh, really, that's your biggest problem. Yeah, I didn't realize that. And they're like, "Oh yeah, let me tell you, blah blah blah." And it's like that magical little follow-on detail. Every project I have is tied to this issue. Oh crap! Now, now I really understand the, the context of what's going on here. A little bit of a follow-up. Yeah. And, you know, like when people hear this, they may say, hey, look, how do we scale that? Right. Like, how do we scale these conversations? Like for if there are founders listening to this right now or marketing leaders listening to this right now, they may be saying, hey, I can't I can't do that. Like I have 70, 80, 200 accounts that I need to reach out to a thousand accounts that I need to reach out. Like I can't, I'm not physically capable of reaching out to that many people. And I understand from that perspective, you're like, okay, that makes sense. But then make sure that whomever the account manager is for that ac account does that. They do the reach outs and you can standardize the questions. What do you like? What do you not like? Why do you not like that? Why do you like that? What's really resonating with, like all of those questions can be the same questions that keep getting asked over and over and over again. And you're going to get sometimes repetitive answers, but then one month 
is going to be off and they're going to be like, whoa, something happened this month. We need to adjust this. Great. Fantastic. Let's adjust. So you can move that down, push that accountability down to the account, account manager to gather that information. And then you can analyze it at the account level. And then what's really interesting is once you gather that across a multitude of different accounts, you'll start to notice trends that exist in your business of what's resonating, what's not resonating, and what kind of content makes sense. Yeah, man. And those overlaps are just like bright red signals telling you, look, pay attention to this. This is that growth you're looking for right here. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think also the, the idea of scaling it sometimes is a trap, you know, it's a trap. Oh, how do I, I, mean, I do it all the time. Like, oh, how do I make this work for a thousand things? It's like, maybe you just need to make it work for, you know, 60% of it or or just do four of them right now. Just do something yeah. so that you know, worry about scaling it later. You know, make it real right now, and then figure out how you can use account managers or maybe schedule more of your time so that it's once yeah. And, and focus on like Pareto principle, right? Like the eighty twenty rule. There's twenty percent of your customers that deliver eighty percent of the revenue, always. So focus on that twenty percent to begin with, and then build from there. Has it has that always been the case? I mean, I've sort of toyed with that idea before, but yeah, there's a small fraction of customers yeah. that really in, are the fact, ones. Most of the time it's bigger than that, right? Most of, most of the time of all the people that I speak to, it's like 5% of the customers deliver 95% of the revenue. Um, and so I would say just focus on the, the ones that count at the beginning and then build out from there. Now, ideally, look, we'd all love to be in a situation where our revenue is evenly distributed across <laughs> all of our customers. That's a great risk mitigation strategy from an from a operations and a financial perspective. But the reality is that for most of us, it's a Pareto principle, right? 2080, generally speaking, or something in and around there. And that's true for almost everything. Right, twenty percent of your or eight twenty percent of your activities deliver eighty percent of the results. It's true for almost everything that we do. You know, a funny thought I had uh, about that was that oftentimes it's not that twenty percent that makes all the noise. A lot of times it's the it's the ones on the outskirts that you probably shouldn't have landed, or that aren't your ideal customer that that are really being squeaky which is by def definition why they're not your ideal customer. Yeah, fire but, those you know, customers. Fire, you fire those customers. Um, yeah. how, do you know, uh, how do you know when they're a squeaky wheel? I mean, is it simple enough? It didn't fit the I ICP, so the way yeah. you go. And, I, and a lot of it comes down to, in, in my head, I think it comes down to profitability, right? What's our profitability by customer? Are we making money? Mm -hmm. Question number one, are we making money off of this customer? If yes, then... Great, let's continue to have a conversation. Next question I like to ask is, how much effort is required to make that money? What's our cost per company that we're working with? Our cost per account. So yes, we're making money, but are we making more or less money when compared to others? And you, you, if you're tracking your internal costing well enough, you can attribute the cost of your team to specific projects or to specific customers. And then you can see the amount of work and effort that's associated with doing that work. So are we, are we performing more work to make that money? 
And then the last question is, are they just a pain in the ass? <laughs> like, like, do I get a phone call three times a week saying, I don't like this. I don't like that. If that's a consistent, like if we solve those problems and they continue to be a consistent problem, it's probably not you. It's probably them. And that's okay. It just means that we need to release them to the market so that they can find someone who does fit their needs the best. And if that's the case, great. I love that. Instead of, instead of trying to fight it, sort of embrace it. Hey, this, I think this is working. You know, this isn't, this isn't us. This isn't us at our best. Man, we have great people. This isn't you. I'm sure you're a really nice person, but you're kind of frustrated right now. You know, is it a small tweak we can change? Or is this like a bigger picture thing where we're just, there's a better vendor for you as a better customer for us. Yeah, if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. Like we've had several of those accounts where we've had to have that difficult conversation, especially at the beginning of our agency where we had, we were trying like incorrectly trying to sell to everyone and everyone. And in the process sold to everyone and anyone and had accounts yeah. that we were managing where we had to eventually after six months, maybe a year of like sadomasochism <laughs> where we're putting ourselves into these kinds of situations. Where we're like, Hey, we just got to have a tough conversation. So you sit the customer down and say, look, this is going to be a difficult conversation. And I always preface it that way. This is going to be a difficult conversation. And here's why, because I actually really like you. And I don't want you to think that this is us abandoning you. And, but I want you to understand that we feel as though the fit between your organization and our organization just isn't there. And it's probably best that we part ways as friends before it becomes unmanageable. And you get angry with us or we get angry with you. Much better to part ways now. And then usually the customer's like, whoa, well, hang on, what's going on? Like, are, is this a breakup conversation? Are you breaking <laughs> up with me? And the answer to that is yes, we are. Because the fit just isn't there. And that's okay. So we give them notice, right? 30, 60, 90 days, whatever is contractually obligated. And then we part ways as friends. Wow. Big follow-up question to this. How much does it cost to have you do that call for me? <laughs> and will you take payment and be in like a six pack of beer <laughs> yeah can i send uh, you, can i send you like an excel spreadsheet with that list and then you can just kind of go through that hey look it's it's not you it's me let's just uh part ways here uh i probably wouldn't do it for someone but i would teach them how to do it teach them how to do it yeah. And you know what? I feel like you literally just taught us how. So you just need to hit back 15, back 15. Yeah. And go listen to what you said specifically because those words matter. And I, I know in your work in negotiation, every sort of part of that, like we can't be careless with our words. Yes. Yeah, not only being careless with your words, but oftentimes people believe that when you have difficult conversations, you need to be, you know, like, angry or demanding or uptight like you can still be polite kind and courteous to someone and still have a difficult conversation 
and empathy is a big part of that, right? Like understanding that, hey, look, if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. And that's okay, right? And, and making the customer feel as though that's also okay, right? Like we're not a fit and that's fine. There are going to be other companies that you work with that are going to be much better than working with us. And we're okay with that. And we hope that you're okay with that. That's, that's really, really important. Just making sure you're going into it, being kind, being empathetic, being um, polite and courteous. That's, that's really critical to that part of the conversation. I, I got to wonder what it feels like to be someone's customer and have them say that to you. Yeah, look, I, I, it's probably not the greatest experience, right? <laughs> like, I mean, in terms, like if we're comparing experiences, right, a much better experience would be like, hey, we love working with you and we think you're the best thing ever. And here's a, here's a discount for next month, right? Like that's, that's the one side of the conversation. But if you, if you have to break up with someone, if you have to call it quits, then just make sure you're kind about it. Damn. Love that. It, do you, did that come from, I mean, the difficult conversations. I mean, I, I love to kind of spin off into that. Sure. Have you always been good at that? Or, I mean, you teach about negotiation as well as content. Tell me about difficult conversations. C- conflict has, as, as weird as this sounds, like as I was about to say it, I was like, that sounds kind of weird. But conflict has always been a part of my life. Um, I grew up in a very conflict-oriented family where people were very unafraid to say whatever they wanted at any point wow. in time. Um, and then we didn't handle that very well, right? We <laughs> fought about it. Right. Everyone for it still to this day fights about it. But by getting it out, it became easier for that person to deal with. So there was no there were, there were never any hidden agendas. There was never anything that was left unsaid. People said it. Um, and that taught me that it's OK to share how you feel about things. What what I didn't learn is how to respond to someone when they share their feelings. That only came later in the conversation or later in my career, right? Like, and once I learned how to do that, and by the way, I'm by no means the best in the world at it, but certainly it's something that I try to work on. Um, And I, I think it's really important because when someone shares how they feel with you, that's actually a privilege, Right, like they're 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 being vulnerable with you. They're sharing something of themselves, and it's easy to get offended when that happens, and it's easy to get angry when that happens. Yeah, Very I do that all the time. Yeah, and so do I. Right, I'm I'm still yeah. working at it. Right, and so, but when you recognize that someone's being vulnerable with you, that's the switch, right? That's where you're like, oh, this person is actually really putting themselves out there and sharing something with me and I need to listen. Um, and that's hard. It's really hard, especially if they've said some things that may, may hurt you and words hurt, right? The whole sticks and th- stones thing is bullshit, right? right? Words hurt. And when you feel a certain way, it's, it's really difficult to stop reacting to that kind of a situation. Like, your body is evolutionarily designed to react to conflict-based situations, right? The fight, right. flight, 
freeze 100%. response is built into you for survival. And so when we get into those kinds of situations that trigger that same kind of response, your amygdala, which is like the least evolved part of your brain, is shooting signals to your body to say, hey, release stress, release cortisol, right? Like all of these things are happening and a hormonal response begins to take over in that moment. What's hard to do in that moment is to try and stop that hormonal response, breathe into the moment and respond with the opposite to say, that's interesting, please tell me more. And I'm trying to understand that moment a little bit more. And that's, that's really, really hard to do. I'm still working at it. I'm still learning. But the more and more that I work at it, the better, ironically, the better and better that I get. Or unironically. Right. So, so if it's like, Mark, your company sucks. Your team's a bunch of shitheads. Yeah. I hate your work. It looks like a fourth grader wrote this content. <laughs> uh, you're an idiot. And then you're supposed to, to your point, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things like you're an idiot, personal attacks, attacks in your totally. company, you care about it, you created it, probably identify with it, your team, you care about them, all these sort of personal things, fight or flights, like, it's like, fuck you. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> your first myself. response you need, your first response is going to want to be like, hey, who the fuck does this person think they Please. are right there? That's your first response. It's really hard in that moment to be like, okay, something's going on here with this person. And, and maybe it's not even me. Maybe I'm, maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm just the person that they're lashing out against. Right. And so when that happens, what I try my best to do is lean into the conversation and say, hey, Casey, look, it sounds like you feel as though we really screwed something up for you. Notice the words I used. It sounds like you feel. It sounds like you feel as though we really screwed something up for you. And if we did, then I'm very sorry about that. Before we try and fix something, I need to understand what it is about that thing that we missed the mark on or that you feel we missed the mark on. Would you please take some time in this conversation, or maybe it's not even now, but maybe it's later, to educate me and tell me where you believe we missed the mark so that I can be ensure that it doesn't happen again the next time. And then hopefully we're in a situation where that person can have that conversation. But if they're too sort of strung out and angry, much better to probably have that conversation at another time and just let them vent. Jeez. My follow-up question to this is how much <laughs> does it cost to have you do that phone call for me? <laughs> <laughs> that that phone call is a phone call I can't have. Unfortunately. That's, I'll pay double on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if the first price was 50 grand? Now you're paying a hundred grand for that. You haven't even heard sold. how much the first price sold. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole business right there. We'll call it the complaint yeah. department. Yeah. And if you have complaints in your company, just direct them at us. We'll we'll take the shit for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not easy. And I will say that. So for the, the listeners that are listening in right now saying, hey, this sounds great. Um, and I want to try this. I, I want you to recognize that the first time you try this, you're probably going to fuck it up. Right? Like you're going to get angry. You're going to respond in a way that you didn't want to respond. 
but recognize that in the moment, right? And try and adjust real time. And the more and more that you work at it, the better and better you're going to become, the easier and easier the conversation is going to be able to have. Um, and we're always, I know a lot of people like are against the whole apology thing, but I'm always quick to apologize for things that I've said that may be hurtful to the person that's lashing out at me. So if you're lashing out at me and I say, hey, fuck you, right? <laughs> that I, in that moment, I'm going to be like, ah, shit, right? Like in my head, I'm going to be, like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. And then later on, I'm going to come back to it and say, hey, look, I want to address something that I said. I shouldn't have said that. And I'm sorry if it hurt you. It wasn't my intention to hurt you. I was just reacting in the moment. And that was bad. And I shouldn't have done that. So I'm sorry. Saying you're sorry counts, right? And it's a big step forward into managing that process. But the first few times that you try it, it's not going to be the greatest experience. But it, it does take work. Like any skill. This is a skill, right? Like any skill, it's going to take time. And, and you know practice. What? Yeah, 100%. As you were describing that too, I mean, glasses half full. These complaints though, typically there's there's nuggets in there. Right? Yeah. If you've done something wrong, you said this earlier, I want That's to prevent so this well from happening said. again. Maybe not to yeah. you, but maybe to all the other customers or there's some kind of value in there. Yeah. You know, it's I, feedback's I feedback, right? Yep. The hard thing is separating that feedback from the criticism, Right. There's, there's constructive criticism and there's destructive criticism. So to your point that you made earlier, right, personal attacks at like sort of the this typical ad hominem attacks, those are destructive. But there are going to be things in there like, hey, this work looks like it was written by a fourth grader. You're like, okay, doesn't feel good when you say that, but obviously we missed the mark on what you perceive to be quality content. So we either didn't do our QA, QC process properly before it left the door, or you're looking for something completely different than what we first agreed to. So th at that point, now you can have a more educated, okay, well, what do you mean by fourth grader content? Like, what does that actually mean? And then the person's probably like, well, probably not fourth grader, but certainly 10th grade. And then you're like, okay, well, it, the English needs to be simple enough that people can understand it. We're not looking for Pulitzer Prize winning work here or a PhD thesis because that no one's going to read that unless you're a scientist, maybe. So there's something in between here that we might have missed, or maybe it's your expectation. And if you can have that conversation with the person, then that becomes easier to manage the quality of the work. Got it. Um. You know, I actually had someone do the fourth grader thing to me. Um, I had a company where as many moons ago, um, we didn't do web design, but for this customer, we thought, hey, why not? <laughs> Terrible idea. And they needed a website created and we created some designs for them. And he said, yeah, like my, you know, nephew is like six years old or something and is learning HTML. And this site looks like something that he would have created. <laughs> And I did not react. I did not have this podcast to listen to, to be able to react. I reacted emotionally somewhat. And I said, well, you know, you should probably have your nephew create your website then, you know, probably be cheaper, probably cheaper. Uh, but I, I totally could have asked like, Oh, what, what looks 
fourth grader to you and what yeah you know and that's a good qualifying question right like well what about it right yeah. when you say the entire website looks like a fourth grader created it you're like okay well it can't be 100 of the website so what parts of it did you not like what right. parts specifically of it didn't? yeah because yeah. then you'll be like okay you know, I can understand where that person is coming from. We can adjust those things, makes it easier to rework work, all the rest of it. But also something interesting that you brought up there was you didn't build websites and you decided to bring on this customer. And that I think is like where, where a lot of people find conflict is at the beginning where you take on work that you know you probably are not the greatest at or work that you should do that is not within your core competency of the type of work that you do. And you do it because you like this person. You're like, ah, yeah, I guess we could do it. And then what inevitably ends up happening is because of that, then bad things happen. This, your exact example is exactly what happened to us at the beginning of our agency as well. We want it to be a full service agency. And what we realized very quickly is like, that's impossible for a startup agency. It, it's impossible to do full service and do it well. Like there's no way you can do full service well. So we cut out all of the stuff that we didn't feel was our core competency, websites and all that kind of stuff because we just couldn't manage that variety of work and put the quality into it. So we reduced and we're still in the process of reducing, which is not something you'll hear from a lot of companies. Usually they want to expand services. No, no. We wanted to reduce services just to those things we knew we could do really, really well. So written content, for example, we do that really, really well. Social media content, we do that really, really well. Websites, not so much. So we had to get rid of it. Yeah. Websites is really tough. Uh, there's a lot of art. <laughs> that blue is not blue enough. You know, right. Some yeah. people are great at that. Oh, so you mean it needs to have more, more green in it. Okay. But yeah, if that's not your thing, <laughs> pick, totally. pick your battles, man. Well, this is cool. I, I'm totally digging this one. I love how these conversations can kind of like move and, change and start one topic and then just kind of follow it through and see see where things go uh, have you been you know how have you been man have you been reading anything lately any any kind of cool podcast you've been checking out any kind of resources yeah um i've been listening to hang on one second there's a book that i want to share with your audience yeah, I'm gonna yeah, go yeah. grab it i'll be right back cool well he's gone i get to do a little startup hey uh, this is perfect time for a dad joke i just need to have one of the ready it's too bad. I don't have There's one. a book that I've been reading um, just around entrepreneurship and scale and learning mm. how to do that because we, we're still learning, right? I mean, I don't think you ever get out of that process. But And it's this book called Scaling Up by Ooh. Vern Harnish. And I've been reading through that. Um, and I love it. I think it's great. I'm not very far into it. I'm only like maybe a, a quarter of the way through. But it's been really, really interesting and enlightening as well. Um, and they're not like, you know, like complete epiphanies. Yeah. But they are common sense things where you're like, of course, right? I should have been doing that all along. That book for me 
um, has been and continues to be, as I read through it, really, really helpful. I find that really, really good. And I've also been reading through um, a biography on John D. Rockefeller, which has been super, super interesting, just learning about him. Because we think about Rockefeller as this guy at the end of his career, right? That's the image we have of him, of like the multi-billionaire that owns the planet, basically. Yeah. But what most people don't think about is who he was at the beginning. And he was a nobody that came from nothing, like less than nothing, like family, ultra poor family, like rags on your back kind of family. And, uh, And that, that is interesting. Because when you think of who he was to who he became, you're like, wow, one lifetime. Um, and we always think of him as this massive industrialist that had all of this money and blah, 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 blah. But he, he, was, he was a poor kid from a poor region at one point in time. Um, and that's been super enlightening. Is, is that talked about in Vern's book? In no, it's not talked about in Vern's book. It's talked about in another book that I'm reading. Just on It's a biography of Rockefeller. Oh, really? Okay. Is there, do you know what it's called? Is just a particular. Yeah. I think it's just called um, giant or something like that. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Hmm. I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay. Put in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a classic thing where they show people, you know, that night that, you know, it's like marathon's it's a good Titan. example. Sorry. Oh, it's called Titan. Titan. Nice. By Ron Chernow. Ron, what's up? You know, it's it's all about you know people running a marathon or a triathlon or any of these crazy mountain climbing Everest thing. It's never that that race day. You know, it was the years of putting in hours of training and practice. Yeah. What about you? Are you reading or listening to anything pretty cool? Well, you know, I got this book in the mail, which is neat because. Oh, I got it from EO, actually. It's called uh, Disciplined Entrepreneurship. Yeah, nice. I didn't know you were an EO member. Yeah. Hey, dude. Rock on, man. What what, uh, chapter are you in? I just started their accelerator program. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm stoked to... I'm hopefully going to hit the metrics to be able to join EO Global end of this year. Uh, Is EO uh, Alberta or... Yeah, so EO Calgary is the chapter Calgary. locally here. Yeah, I feel like I've heard about your chapter. I feel like I even follow it on Facebook or something. I'm not sure why. I think I found the page. You got some That's really awesome. interesting guys that come uh, and and women that come out of our area that are just like blowing the world apart in terms of the work that they're doing. Some really really cool stuff. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, no, EO is one of those things which just, and I didn't know it early on. They had an accelerator. I would have definitely joined that in a heartbeat, but I didn't yet qualify for it because it's basically being a part of it. You know, there's not much that separates you, but you get to be in that community, which is an amazing community. And for people listening, it's called Entrepreneurs Organization. And uh, it's very much not a lead gen channel. It's, it's more of an experience share channel. So, you know, people telling stories to each other and sharing what they did in that same situation. And so, unlike a lot of places where you say, Oh, this is happening. And people try to solve your problem or sell you something in EO. It's like forbidden. The only thing you can do, you can't even share what to do. You can just say that here's what I did. Like, Oh, this, 
crazy HR event is happening. Okay, well, here's what happened when I encountered that same thing. Here's what I did. And here's what happened after that. You get the collective experience from people rather than hearing the individual what to do, which kind of ties back into all the things we're talking about here today, because you never remember the individual advice. You always remember the story that people tell you when they experience that same thing. And sometimes it's just enough to hear the story that eight other people have experienced that same trouble you're experiencing. Um, and then hearing you know, what they did and didn't do can help you form in your own mind what you need to do as a next step. Yeah, it's been a super valuable organization to me. Just the learning that I've gotten out of it has just been amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Sweet, man. We got to talk more about you offline. Totally. We'll have to, uh, I'll have to get into it. But uh, this book, you know, I, uh, there's a lot of books out there. It's tough. Yeah, my book is great, but uh, <laughs> there's let's a lot talk of books. about it, man. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, before we get to my book, this one in particular, I get the sense that there's some value tucked in here. I've just read a little bit, but it's really hitting on some key points. They talked about personas and then it talked about a pricing framework and calculating mm. lifetime value. Oh, I feel nice. like this is written by someone who has experienced a lot and ha- and is writing about the key points in there, defining your core, um, total addressable market, like all the things also that I would try to avoid, you know, all that homework, you got to do it as a company. And it's like, these are important. Here's how to do it. Um, and it's got cartoons in it. So I'm kind of sold on the cartoons. And that That's, is the disciplined entrepreneurship. Sounds like a great book, man. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, what what's new? What's new with content callout? What have you been up to? Uh, well, we've been firing customers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you too can be fired by content callout. Yeah. Content no, callout. We, uh, we went through an interesting time at the end of last year where I, we had a good point of reflection to be like, hey, are we where we need to be? And are right. we doing what we want to do? And are we working with who we want to work with? Um, and in the process, we we found a few customers that we had to part ways with, part ways with, and that's that was difficult and it was hard conversations, but it was important because it was necessary for growth. But when you get the funny thing when you have that conversation is like, oh, I'm letting go of these thousands of dollars in revenue annually or monthly, then you're like, oh, that's going to be hard to fill. What's interesting is that as soon as you let that go, you create capacity in your team to be able to do the things that you need to do. Right. Yeah. And so that was great for us. It was a good process to be in, but we continue to scale, man. That's why I'm reading that book. We continue to grow and attract and build the customers that we want to work with. Um, companies that are focused on marketing, are focused on growth. They understand the need for content um, and they understand that content is, is the, the, flyer, the flame and the fire that keeps burning. Yeah. that keeps building authority, that keeps building awareness, that keeps generating leads. And it's it's that consistent flame and that consistent fire that's so important to so many businesses. Um, so yeah, just trying to work with more companies like that. We're adding more folks uh, internally to our team as well. We just recently hired a brand new project manager. Her name's Mandy. Shout out, Mandy. Shout out. Um, and she's she's doing great. We're super happy with her. She's really sh- shown herself to be super capable. Um, so we're just adding more and more things to your plate and then we'll bring on someone new and probably about May and keep going basically. Who, now that you, you've taught us all about this, who is your ideal customer profile? 
Our ideal customer profile is someone in the B2B SaaS space, a company in the B2B SaaS space that's typically raised money is either series A or B or is already established within the sort of the business atmosphere. We don't do well with companies that are pure startups that haven't raised money yet because generally they can't afford to work with us. Um, and so we, we typically trying to stay away from any kind of seed funded startups, but series A, series B or established tech companies. We do very well with healthcare companies um, and we do very well with back office SaaS products. So anything in and around project management, accounting, procurement, logistics, supply chain, human resources, basically anything that isn't customer facing, you need content for that kind of a product. We do that. Oh, I love that. Um, speaking of the, the targets that raise money, we just recently been exploring Crunchbase has ah. a subscription you can use to access. Great. Do you have a, are you doing that we too? Do. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I've always known about them, but I didn't realize they had a, a product. Maybe to do that. It's a great database, man. Yeah. Really good information because they're constantly updating it as well. So you're getting new companies that have raised money all the time in there. It's really interesting. Hmm. Hmm. The gears are turning. Gears are turning there. Um, okay, so anyone who's listening that's in those spaces and they're looking for just with a strategy around content or just actually creating it as well, supplementing strategy and production. So okay. we do strategy and production. That's our main thing. We do a little bit of distribution. We'd much prefer our customers to do the distribution because they generally know where those people are best. Yep. We'll do the strategy and the production. Got it. All kinds, any kinds, whatever... Any type of content you can think of, written, so blogs, white papers, case studies, social media content, copy, graphics, infographics, video, um, animated explainer videos, edited social videos, that kind of stuff. We do all of that. Anything in and around content. What we don't do is websites. We do the copy <laughs> for the websites, but we won't do the websites. Right. Um, we also don't do your traditional demand gen model, right? We're not a full scale demand gen company. We're a content company. Um, we also don't do anything that's out of home. So billboards, um, bus terminal stuff, uh, arenas. We don't do any sort of traditional out of home marketing. We don't do anything video um, that's on TV. If it's social and it's video, we do that. But basically in and around anything on content online, we do that. That's our jam. Love that. And I'm glad you're able to answer that because I, I, I wanted to hear it. And I wanted two, two reasons. One, people listening, hey, they could use, a, that, that sounds really powerful, like a powerful supplement or they don't have anything going on right now with their team. Back to the myth you were smashing. This is a great way, a trusted person they can go to with a team that obviously kicks ass that they can use, but also it kind of cements what we've been talking about is you've got it figured out. And if people fit that awesome, if you don't, don't call you because you'll yeah. probably dump, dump them at some point, but that's good. It saves everyone time. Um, totally. And, yeah. And, and also, I, I think good. that's really important that people understand that, Hey, look, if you're looking for like a, a full service agency that can do anything and everything, we're not that company. Right. But 
I, I wanted to highlight for people listening to that, because this is what I heard. You shared our sweet spot. And then you shared, this is what we don't do. And it wasn't just like one thing. It was a couple things. We don't do out of home. I hadn't heard that before. It was cool. Out of home, the billboards, we don't do that. We're not demand gen. We're not this, not that. And it can be dangerous saying what we're not. But man, does it help hone in on what we are. So there's no confusion. And if they were looking for demand gen, cool. And now you're not going to waste each other's time on three or four calls to find out that actually they want to do a bunch of things. Yeah. What I will say is for those, and this is something that we've offered to a lot of friends, um, if you're new to content or you want to try something new out in content or you're, you've got an existing company that's doing your content already, but you want to try something new, um, there's an offer, if you don't mind, I'll give to your yeah, listeners. Please. Yeah, please. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn, say you heard me on Casey's podcast. And I will offer you a free 1,000 word tailored blog post for your organization. So if you want to try us out and you're interested in what our type of content can do for your organization, if you already think of written content as something that you want to do, reach out to me, free 1,000 word blog post. And if you find that interesting, then you'll probably find more interesting and we can have further conversations. Love that. We will link to that in the show notes, but I, I'm, I'm curious, man, how can you possibly write a thousand words about my industry? How do you, you don't know my industry. I'm an expert in my industry. Barely. Are you, you're not an expert. You're not an expert in every industry. So how could you possibly write a thousand words? That isn't just straight gibberish. Keyword is finding the right writer for you. So first and foremost is making sure we have the right writer for your needs. And then secondly, making sure that we understand what it is you're trying to say, right? What it is you want to say in that blog post. We'll put together a brief for you that makes sense with all of your H1 and H2 tags and all of the key points that you want to hit. We'll find research sources that are able to help support that. We'll send that to you and say, is this what you want to say? And are you comfortable with these research sources? You give us the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Once we get the thumbs up from you, we write it and then we produce it. And it goes through two stages of editing internally within our organization. It gets edited for SEO, grammar, spelling, plagiarism from our in-house editor. And then it goes to your project manager who edits for tone to ensure that we're getting your tone right so that we sound like your organization. And then it goes to you for review. You review it. You make any changes you want to make off of it, send it back to us. We make those changes. And then it's your blog. I love that. I'm sold. Sign me up. I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn afterward. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, man, it's so, so glad you've come on here. Thank you so much for sharing all these things with us. We're definitely going to link to you on LinkedIn. I can't wait to hear. Um, and people should definitely tag me on those posts when you, when you have Mark's team create those. I'd love, and you post it on social. I'd love to see those and read those. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Casey. It's been a great pleasure. You're such a good friend. I always enjoy these conversations. You're really, really smart. And I I love your show and the depth of the questions that you go into, the curiosity that you have really drives the conversation. So thanks for doing what you do, man. Please keep doing it. I will. Yeah, I really will. And I can't wait to be on your podcast. Quick shout out your podcast. Where can they find it? Also website, any other places they can go. Yeah, 
the content callout podcast is called B2B Content Marketing, and then we've got the content callout. You can find that wherever. Just type in B2B Content Marketing on any areas where you listen to podcasts. Could be Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just type in B2B Content Marketing, and my podcast will pop up. It's called The Content Callout. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to look us up online, just go to our website, contentcallout.com. It's the easiest place to find us or connect with me on LinkedIn. Boom. There it is. And for those people listening, if you learn something, and I know you did because I literally, I know this guy, and yet I still have two pages of notes front and back over here. Uh, share this with someone else. That's the best way to show thought leadership is to share some good content like in this show with one or two or 500,000 other people. That's how you can be a thought leader in your space. Um, and again, Mark, thanks again. I, we'll definitely have another one. We'll do wine next time. Absolutely. Um, and, and maybe some cigars. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. All right. Well, that's been another amazing, fun episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show, everyone. We'll see you all next time.